Hello, my name is Peyton Menzemeyer and welcome to our online worship experience. I'm one of the ministers here at the Vero Beach Church of Christ and this morning we're going to begin a brand new series titled Rhythm. If you were with us last week, you'll know that Tracy Moore, our preaching minister, he concluded a year-long journey through the Gospel of Mark where we slowly work through the remarkable life of Jesus and that story came to its conclusion uh, last week and so this week we're going to try to begin a mini-series on the topic of rhythm. How can we reestablish rhythm in our life despite all of the uncertain times that we live in these days? And I want to first welcome uh, some nice familiar faces at the table. We're always grateful that we can make this a little more intimate that way despite the distance that we have. Uh, And by way of introducing this topic of rhythm, I decided to do it by asking two boys that are staying with Darian and I uh, that we have guardianship over for a temporary amount of time. Uh, And I had them on video. You'll see the instructions of what I gave them, but I think it's a perfect way to introduce this idea of what rhythm is. So let's watch that video. What I would like y'all to do is go ahead and pick up your drumsticks. Uh, And if you could, um, I would like for you to make music. Like just, I'll tell you when to go. Um, And you're just going to, together, y'all are going to play some music for us. Um, So whenever you're ready, go for it. And um, what is this song called that y'all are playing? You don't have a name for it? No. Can y'all, can y'all go ahead and give me some lyrics? Can you sing part of it? No. What was that song called? Um, <laughs> music. It was called music. Outro, go. So there we just watched the boys making noise. I use that word pretty intentionally because while I ask them to make music, it's It's hard to classify the sounds we just heard as music. Why? Because music has a rhythm. It has a beat. Like it has structure. There's a a method to the madness of sounds that we hear whenever we listen to music. And for many of us these days, our life feels a lot like the music the boys were making um, with everything going on. And for some of you watching this morning, I know that you have lost your jobs. Um, or you are at risk of being temporarily let go. Others of you are dealing with sicknesses. Maybe it's the COVID-19 virus. Maybe it's something entirely different. Maybe you know somebody who's struggling with sickness. And for the mass majority, the rest of us, um, we're struggling mentally, asking ourselves the questions almost daily, like, what's life going to look like on the other side of this? Like, is my life going to go back to normal? 
What is normal anymore? Uh, when is this all going to be over? Are my finances going to hold me through by the time this is over? Will my friendships, my relationships withstand? And for, the, for many of us, the melody of our life has been disrupted. And we've been knocked off balance. And I want to begin our time, before we even dive into the topic of rhythm, I want to begin our time by reminding us of a truth, a truth that will help us withstand anything that we can face. And that truth is that God is still in control. He is. And the idea that God is good, the idea that God is seeking communion with us, the, God, the idea that God can, can make good out of any evil that this world brings to us, that those ideas, those principles, they can give us a much wider range of hope than anything else can. So hold on to that truth. God is good. God is in control through these times. So for our, our goal for this series, Rhythm, is two parts. It's going to be a two-part mini-series. Uh, in this session, we're going to be talking about just a foundational idea of what rhythm is, why it's critical for us, and then what are some of the struggles we face as we try to establish a rhythm in our life. And then next week, we're going to come back and we're going to uh, look specifically at the life of Jesus. The, the life that he modeled, the rhythmic patterns he modeled, and how we can model our life after those. Um, we're going to give you some practical ways that you can apply these rhythms to your life. And then we might even hear from somebody who, despite the uh, chaos of life, was able to establish rhythm even outside of the COVID-19 tragedies they had before this. And so we're going to hear those things, hopefully get some practical advice from this series. And that's our goals. And luckily for us, is the Bible or the, the biblical story, it is riddled with rhythm. God in creation itself established rhythm. You think of the creation story with its rhythmic pattern. God created the day and there was morning and there was evening the first day and the second and the third and the fourth. They followed suit. It was like a six-part sympathy symphony, sorry, a symphony of creation as all of these days were created. And then after the creation and God created a space, he created days and weeks and months. Even nature itself follows a rhythmic pattern. When you have seasons change over and then they repeat themselves. And then the Hebrew people later on in the story, they picked up on the, that annual calendar and they established their own rhythmic patterns. Um, they celebrated Passover to remember God's deliverance of them out of Egypt. And if you were with us a few months ago, um, you'll remember we sat at a table. Deja, you were at the table with us uh, whenever we were all in the auditorium. We sat, Tracy and I, we sat at a table and we walked through that Passover meal together. Uh, some other practices is uh, the Feast of Weeks in the spring, New Year's in the fall. Finally, Yom, uh, Yom Kippur, where they repented of their wrongdoings against God. In all of these practices, these Jewish practices and more, Jesus himself would have practiced. He would have been in the rhythm of practicing these. You keep moving through the biblical story and you get to the early church, which had their own rhythmic patterns of life that they picked up. Um, you know, at the, especially at their existence where Luke tells us at the beginning of Acts that they had all things in common. They would meet regularly to pray, to break bread, um, that they would have um, daily worship in the temple. And then they would meet and have a common meal with each other in the evening, that they had all things in common, that they would uh, sell their possessions and give the, the proceeds to the needy. All of these rhythmic patterns, their way of life. But while they were rooted in their Jewish faith, 
while they had their origins there, they were all reshaped and reoriented around one person, Jesus. Now, my question is, have you ever tried to do that? To reshape and reorient your life around Jesus versus the opposite, where we oftentimes will reshape Jesus to fit into our schedule in our life. You see, I try to do this often, and it's very difficult and often disorienting to try to reshape my life. In fact, it's so disorienting uh, at times that I had to actually hire a coach, a mentor of sorts to help me do these things. Because while I wanted to be with God and while I wanted to have a rhythm with him on a daily basis, I'd been so, uh, so conformed, so conditioned in the opposite direction that I needed outside help to help me shape my life around him. So to give you an idea of some of the things that my coach helps me through, um, like most people do, I used to uh, sleep with my phone charging on the bedside table. And every night right before I fell asleep and every morning whenever I woke up, I'd find myself on the phone, you know, scrolling through social media and the news and whatever it is. And I didn't want to begin my days that way. Like I, I wanted to begin my days with God, having God on my mind, to be with him in prayer, to, to set my heart and focus on him. But I, I wasn't. I was conditioned. And so some things my coach has helped me through is, you know, charging my phone in a different room, getting an alarm clock, deleting social media off my phone so I'm not drawn there, which with the COVID-19 and trying to stay up to date, I uploaded that again. So maybe I need to take that off. But, but all of this to try to reshape and reorient my life. But here's the thing. You might be looking at me thinking, really, you need to hire a coach for that? To buy an alarm clock and charge your phone in the other room? Like, you really need to hire a coach? And you're right. Maybe, maybe you don't struggle with that. Maybe you have something else. But we all have rhythms, habits that we fall into. So the question is, what is yours? Because while you might not struggle with my issue, I do. And I wanted to reshape my life around Jesus, not the other way around. And so over the course of this lesson, we're going to learn how we can find a new rhythm, a biblical rhythm. And the good thing is that biblical rhythm has a lot to teach us in the modern context, as desperate as we are to find healthier rhythms. Like even before the pandemic hit, people were seeking healthier rhythms in their life. And so Jesus's life, a simplified version, because we're just going to lay the foundation this morning. Jesus's life, it models two principal duties for us as followers of him to fall into a rhythm. And those two principal duties are prayer and work. Simplified, of course, right? Prayer, it draws us to God. Work, it sends us into the world. Prayer centers us and quiets us. Work energizes us. Prayer restores us to God. Work allows us to participate in what God is doing to restore the world. Jesus himself, he practiced these on a regular basis. We, we see him going to the desert, going to the wilderness to pray, to be with God in solitude, only so he could emerge from the wilderness to preach the good news, to, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. A, a couple of months ago, Tracy told us that Jesus isolated himself in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray a deep prayer from the depths of his soul, to cry out to God, to prepare him for the work of the cross. This rhythm of prayer and work that work simultaneously back and forth with each other. And this rhythm of prayer and work, what it does whenever we can find ourselves in this rhythm, it establishes what we call a routine. 
Simple definition of a routine, it's repeating the same activities time and time again. We pray, we work day in and day out, we're involved in this routine, and what a routine does is it allows God the condition to do subtle, deep, transformative work both in our souls and in the entire world. But here's the problem with routine. It requires patience and it requires endurance. Two things that we struggle with in this world. You see, it should be no surprise that the greatest temptation that we have of uh, once we settle into a routine of prayer and work in our life is what an ancient monk categorized, summarized through a word, acedia. So acedia doesn't mean like laziness or slothfulness or something like that. What acedia means is boredom, restlessness, and inattentiveness which we struggle with, right? Routine makes us impatient. We want the easier way. We want the fast track to maturity of faith for fruitfulness of life. Like we want to be entertained and dazzled along the way. We want to see rapid progress. We don't want to wait. In acedia, it tempts us to quit mid-course. Like just whenever we've settled into this routine of prayer and work in our life, just when we found this rhythm, we grow weary of sameness and tediousness. Like, like acedia, it, it, it forces us out of that mode. Musicians, they struggle with this whenever they're tired of practicing scales. Athletes, they grow tired of this whenever they're tired of grow, or, uh, throwing up free throws or swimming laps. Scholars, whenever they exhaust themselves in research, they grow tired of it, but there's no getting around it. Routine, however boring or wearisome it might be, it's necessary. Because mastery comes from persisting in whatever endeavor when everything inside of you and outside of you is screaming at you to quit. That's true in music. It's true in athletics. It's true in scholarship. It's true in any other secular pursuit we might have. But it's also true in our spiritual lives, in our walk with God. You see, we in the West, we often view time as a commodity. We either spend it well or we waste it. And that's why we build schedules and to-do lists so that we can squeeze as much time and and effort out of our day as we can. But what rhythm does, a, a rhythm of prayer and work, it enables us to relish the present moment, to sacrifice the moment to God, to sacrifice our work to Him through our prayer. But the problem is, is that whenever our balance is knocked off, as it is for many of us this day, we often will lean in one direction or the other, prayer or work. Right? We, we grow a tension between these two activities at, at our peril. See, on one hand, without work, prayer it becomes rote and irrelevant. We're really good at voicing the words, but there's no depth and meaning behind it. Uh, it loses its purpose. It lacks passion. It turns inward. It serves a self. Like at some point, it doesn't even matter if our prayers are answered or not. We, we just pray for the sake of praying. And then you swing in the opposite direction. Without prayer, work becomes an idol. We work to make money. Or in our case, we work to keep our jobs. Um, we try to gain power and prestige. We try to advance in our careers. How about this one? We try to distract ourselves from what's happening around us through our work. We try to escape. And in this this process, we become presumptuous. We think our work can accomplish good things, and we no longer need God's power or God's wisdom because we can do it on our own. And from the moment we were born, we've jumped on the treadmill. 
in our culture, we've jumped on the treadmill. And we run for the purpose of running faster. And we want to run faster so that we can raise our kids, so we can put them on the treadmill so that they can run faster. And everything becomes expendable. Our soul, even, becomes expendable for the sake of running faster than anybody else who'd be willing to try to run against us. We plan, we execute, we swindle, whatever it takes to get on top. And one of the most relevant texts for us these days and one that I've, I've spent many, many, many uh, mornings just meditating on comes from James's letter, James, the, the brother of Jesus. If you remember, the text says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into a town, spend a year there, will trade, will make a profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. God says, oh, you think you're in control? Like you think you can just, you know, plan out your tomorrows. Oh, we'll go to that town. We'll make a profit. We'll come back. Then we'll go to that town. Like how are those plans going for you? Like all of us in January, when we had big plans for the year 2020, how are those plans going for you? You see, no matter what we might think, God reminds us you are not in control. And we all know or when we all know, and all we know how to do is run, what happens when all of the treadmills in the world stop? Perhaps the goal is not to get the treadmill up and running again as fast as we can so that we can jump on it and just start running like we always have been. Like maybe there's something deeper happening in all of this, or maybe we can take advantage of something deeper that could happen inside of us. You see, earlier in that chapter in James, there's, there's a passage of scripture that I've read it multiple times throughout my life, but just recently it hit me harder than ever before. James chapter 4, verse 5. Listen, listen to what James says. It's a simple sentence. It says, God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So James, you're telling me that the almighty God like, like the creator of the universe, the creator of the cosmos of the universe and the micromolecules that hold me together, the God who sits on the throne of creation, that being yearns jealously for me? Like he yearns jealously for you? Like maybe this time of, of isolation, maybe it has a grander purpose. Like maybe God desperately, desperately wants to be with us. So at the time of Jesus's incarnation, whenever he walked the earth, um, a grapevine, it would be cultivated, planted, left to grow for three years before it was allowed to grow a bunch of grapes. And so for three years, Every year, whenever it tried to produce grapes, the harvester would cut it off and throw it away. It wouldn't be allowed to grow the grapes until the third year. But by then, whenever the grapes came through, the branch over time had grown strong enough to hold that bunch of grapes up. And then at harvest, the grapes would be taken, all of the vines would be cut back so that they could rest, grow nourishment, and then the season would begin again. It's pretty remarkable. And bearing fruit for a grapevine is the most natural thing for it to do. 
Like it doesn't have to push out grapes. It doesn't have to persist and strain itself. It just happens. It's what it does. And looking at my life before the virus, it would seem that both in a secular sense and a religious sense, I was constantly trying to push out fruit. I was pushing. It wasn't coming natural to me. And I think what many of us have grown aware of over the past couple of weeks and the past couple of months is perhaps we have all spent too much time producing and less time abiding. And I understand why. Because pruning is a difficult process. Like, I I recently pruned back my hibiscus plants. They used to be big, lush, beautiful plants. Now they're just little sticks sticking out of the ground, and it's terrible to see. But I know that if I want my hibiscus plants to grow back even more healthy, if, if we want a grapevine to grow back even stronger, that pruning process is necessary. Now, I'm not prepared to say that God is undergoing some kind of global pruning. Maybe he is. He's God. He has the right to do that. But what I am saying and what I am claiming is perhaps we can use this time to abide, to recharge for the work that's going to come after all of this. Perhaps instead of being knocked out of rhythm, we can use this time to re-engage with God, to re-establish our priorities and our practice, to establish a rhythm. What I want to do now is have read one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And and this passage is going to conclude us and and hopefully bring all of this together. It comes from John's Gospel, John chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Sasha, will you read that for us? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he proves that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus is the true vine, and he he calls us to abide deeply with him, to connect with him, and, and what time better than these, to find moments to abide deeply with him, because apart from him, we have no life. We have no way to gain nourishment. It's through the vine that we gain life and nourishment to help us through. And so for the next couple of weeks, both this one and next, we're going to be looking at rhythm. How can we establish rhythm in our life the way Jesus did? And that starts with first learning to abide with him, to understanding where our true strength comes from and not looking 
outside of this. Next week, we will continue this rhythm series and we will again look specifically at the life of Jesus and the model he gives us of finding rhythm in our life to model our life after. And then we'll be giving you some practical ways that you can apply rhythm in your life today. But for now, to conclude our time, let's go to our God in prayer. Lord, we are weary Our motivation is lagging. We are so in need of your strength and your fresh touch to get us back on track. God, your word says the joy of the Lord is my strength. And if that's true, then we need your joy to replace these bone-tired parts of our mind and body and soul. Renew our rhythm. Lord, fill us with your supernatural power to overcome every obstacle in our path. And with our eyes on you, with you walking beside us, working through us, we're going to make it. God, we thank you for that hope that we have in you. And we say this prayer in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.